The final season of Power Book 2, Ghost, begins. And for Tariq St. Patrick, it's the moment of truth. In the wake of being betrayed, pushed out of the drug game, and almost killed, Tariq is out for revenge. Will he prove to be like his father and do whatever is to be done to protect his family and his future? Or is he his own man? Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now only on Stars and the Stars app. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. family i'm your girl tamika d mallory it's your boy my son the general and we are your hosts of street politicians the place where the, place the streets, where the streets and politics, and politics meet. meet this is a heavy show nice we getting ready to get into something that's deep 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 you ready um, this is a tough one man you know just over the last couple of weeks you know this first story that we're talking about had me in tears man. i don't usually cry but this one had me in tears you cry sometimes I mean, I try not to, and you know, I, I try not you to. Not try not to cry. I do. I ain't gonna lie. I'm one of the people that try not to cry. I'm getting better you at try it. Try not to cry. You should. I'm getting better at it. Yeah, because the stuff we deal with is heavy. It's heavy, and actually, I've been really. Um, I have actually been blessed by the fact that you and other men around y'all do express yourselves, not just in tears, but even in words, and just making it clear that, hey, this shit hurts, you know? It hurts. So I don't think you should try not to cry, but, you know, I don't want to see you crying every minute all the time every day because I don't think you want to see me crying every minute all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, it's it's a heavy discussion. We're talking about this new term that we're learning around medical kidnapping. Some people are calling it legal kidnapping. Others are calling it removal of, of, of children from the home, which is the, that's the, really the basis of the argument. There's some people who are, um, you know, it's just calling all types of things. And I'm, I'm learning so, I'm learning so many terms. And I think, I think that this whole, and then we're also talking about human trafficking and how things intersect. Um, and, and one of the things that I know, and it's been said to us a million times, you know, the adults always say, when you stop learning, you're dead. So, for us, this is a new world that we've been introduced to, and we're learning new terminology, learning about in- issues that we don't even know, and how it kind of connects to the work we do every day. Yeah. Interesting. Very much so, man. You know, and it's this this listening, you know, just viewing what's happened with Saisha. And Ty, and, Saisha and Tyreen. And Tyreen. 
and, and just seeing what's going on, just paying attention and just start learning. Well, there was a lie. We have to tell people who Saisha and Tyreen are. Oh, Ty- oh, if you haven't been paying attention to the news, um, there are a couple whose baby was, you know, um, medically kidnapped, as you said, or removed. As some people say. As some people say. And um, just watching it, there was a lie where she had to turn in her baby to the to the hospital. And she was on live with a, another young lady who I think maybe had been a lawyer or something. And she was giving them terms to use as they took took her baby, wouldn't allow her into the hospital, wouldn't allow them to do, to even be there while they took tests or did whatever it was they were doing. Check. Mm-hmm. So I was just listening to the, the lady and she was giving her advice and saying, ask them these questions, write this down. Ask them, are you telling me that I can't be present with my child? Are you telling me that I'm not allowed to be present with my child while you are performing medical examinations? Like there was a lot of things going on in that thing and I just started learning. And you know, for me, it's, it's, it, we need to be informed. Mm-hmm. We need to know what our legal rights are. We need to know what they're able to do, what they're not able to do. So this whole situation, every day, every minute, I'm learning more and more about it. Yeah, no. So Saisha and Ty, Tyreen, um, so that folks know, uh, they are a couple that after their child was one years old, they lost their son. And after losing the first baby, it was already determined that CPS, Child Protective Services, would be somehow involved in the birth of a new child that Saisha was pregnant with, which uh, baby I set, I think it's such a beautiful name. Uh, she uh, was now returned to her family, but after one week, she had been removed from the household because of the things that have been already happening with baby Ra. Um, And so they are, this has been going on for six months that their son was removed from the home. And um, there's a movement that has really been developing around helping them to fight for their children and so, um, like you said, we've been getting deep into learning and understanding that there are so many families across the country. And guess what? There's some families that probably need their children taken, right? Some, there are people who do not deserve to have children. But when I see the number of folks that have been reaching out to us recently, yes, after they know about something's wrong here. Something is wrong. Because I don't when you just look at just look at the way that this couple loved on their children. When you just see the, the intensity and, and intention of love that they give to these babies, you know, it just it seems like something is definitely all wrong here. Yeah. And being being a loving parent, being a good person does not mean you're perfect. It just don't mean that. And not being perfect doesn't mean that somebody should take your children. Exactly. Exactly. You might not get the lactation process right, which was the case in Saisha's situation. You might not get, you know, the child might fall and hurt themselves. And I get it. The system doesn't know when to activate and when not, because you don't know. People lie. Children can't necessarily speak for themselves or advocate. But there has to be a better way than to rip babies out the arms of their mother, mothers and fathers. So we're talking about that today. And 
I had I have a little thought though that is totally not a part of this conversation around um, these new terms that we're learning: medical kidnapping, um, understanding more about human trafficking and sex trafficking. Those things are really serious, and we really are focused on that in this show. Um, but my thought of the day, as I have been on my social media the last few days. And you know that, uh, I mean, obviously you invited uh, Snoop to be on our board. He's Uncle Snoop Dogg to us. We love him so much. Uh, He's a great supporter of Until Freedom, our organization. Until Freedom, go get you a t-shirt. I'm wearing Until Freedom is that. And and he has been talking about this crate challenge. I'm trying to understand. Most people, most people, there are some people who are daredevils. Usually it's white folks that be daredevils. Most people get hurt doing something that they did not want to get hurt. They weren't trying to get hurt. They weren't expecting to get hurt. And they thought that the odds for them to to do this thing would work out in their favor. Right? They thought, they thought, I could ride this motorcycle. I'm a willie it. I know that I shouldn't be, but the odds are most people can pop a willie and they good, right? The crate challenge, the odds are all the way against you. And only a point, point, point one percent of people will actually succeed. But 99% that two, three, four, whatever, getting as close to 100% as possible, will not just fall, but will hit the concrete. You don't have control of your face, your head, nothing. Or you're hitting these crates. I've seen people hit their their head with the crates. I've seen people, their sides getting slammed. So they are intentionally going out to do something where the odds are that you could really hurt yourself really bad and I'm trying to understand who the hell came up with it and why are black people who, by the way, don't like to go to the hospital um, because we are not treated properly when we get there. And a lot of us don't have proper health insurance. Some of us don't have health insurance at all. Some folk got to go to work, or at least I thought maybe the pandemic's got something to do with it because you're supposed to be at work. Now your arm is hurting, your head's hurting, you done got knocked out, your side is not right. What sense did, maybe you could tell me, what sense does this make? It is stupid. <laughs> like, it, it ain't, like for real, I'm looking at it and I'm like, yo, who came up with, let me just see if I could, because after watching two or three of them and the way they fall, and I'm like, it's no way I'm trying that. Like, it's, there's no possible way that I'm walking up crates where people fall on a slide, on a side, their legs are split open, people hitting the ground. The last one, somebody, the last one I seen, somebody actually kicked the dude off his and he fell and almost broke his neck. And I'm like, yo, why do we find amusement in the stupidest shit? Like, what it is? Like, what is it? It's so stupid. Like, we we don't have the challenge to get money. We don't have the challenge to build business. We ain't got the challenge to be entrepreneurs. We ain't got the challenge to friends, make money together challenge. But we got to create challenge. Like, come on. We, like, I mean, listen, I guess it's entertaining to somebody. For me, it's stupid. 
stupid completely. And I hope that people will be smarter than the stupidity that we see because it's dumb. Before we go to the next segment and have our special guest join, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR. 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. That's how we own it! So I am uh, just so happy, but unfortunately it's not a happy occasion uh, to have a young woman with us today that has really truly um, over the last few weeks shown me what humble aggression is all about. Um, A very uh, soft-spoken woman, but yet very powerful in that when she sees injustice, she's going to find everybody that's necessary to get involved and to help. Um, most of you saw that Until Freedom has been supporting Saisha and Ty, who lost their two children. They've now um, received one of their babies back, been reunited with, with, with their younger daughter, um, with the newborn, but they still have not been reunited with their son. And there is a major campaign to bring Ra home. And you all have been very much so involved in that. Um, but I found out because Tatiana Ali called me. And over the last few weeks, 
Um, we have bonded, unfortunately, in trauma. A lot of people don't recognize how much trauma brings people together. Um, that would be the same for our relationship, my son, with uh, with uh, Breonna Taylor's family, with Trayvon Martin's family. Exactly. You become really close to so many individuals based upon trauma. And that has happened here with Tatiana and I being on the phone morning, noon, and night, trying to assist this family in whatever way that we can, understanding that the system we're up against has a lot of power and a lot of people who support it, even people who look like us. So Tatiana, this past weekend, you were in um, Sarasota, Florida at a rally that we all kind of worked on. Um, a shout out to uh, the family and our sister, Denisha, um, mm -hmm. who was really the lead organizer on putting the rally together. And we were all supposed to be there. And then Hurricane Henry came and decided that those of us leaving from the Northeast wouldn't be able to make it. But you were still able to go Trey the Truth, our brother who we are on the front lines with every day, was there. He could travel. Uh, thankfully, this time the hurricane wasn't in Houston, Texas, where he is unfortunately always um, on the front lines dealing with people who are experiencing that issue and, and the tragedies associated with hurricanes. So we weren't able to be there, but you all held down the fort. And we wanted to hear from you firsthand what happened you know, what did you see? What did you experience? Thanks, Tamika, for for everything that that you've done. And and I want to say that, like, I, you know, I see the way you move. And so um, that's why I put the APB out on you. <laughs> you did that. Everybody was calling me like, Tatiana Ali needs to talk to you. I got three texts. I got emails. I got phone calls. I got DMs on Twitter and Instagram. Everybody. I did. Um, and uh, so so um, so at, in, in Sarasota, um, I got a chance to um, meet Saisha and Tai in person. I also got a chance to meet Baby Asset. Um, uh, and um, uh, Baby Asset's grandma, Tai's mom, Miss um, Elma McKay. Uh, and it was just a beautiful, it was a beautiful gathering of um, their community and the people in their community that have really been um, rallying around them and getting the, the message out. Um, I also met other families uh, from Kentucky, from Texas, from New York, from Alabama, who made their way, um, who, who were able to make their way over uh, to be there because for them, this was their first opportunity to, um, to speak on it in, in a more public way. They've been trying very much and nobody's answering their calls. Nobody's listening. Um, it was, I mean, to say it, it was a unity rally. It started with meditation. It started with quiet and, you know, people's hearts are broken because they're longing for their children. Um, and in many cases they are, um, the very space that they went to for help is where they were attacked and where they were victimized and where their children were taken or, you know, um, illegally or legally, sorry, legally kidnapped. Um, it was, it was beautiful that all the families spoke. Um, there was music um, and it was a lot. This was just yesterday. <laughs> so, um, so I'm um, I'm still just kind of downloading with myself, just 
you know, emotionally what was there. And, and sometimes you go into these spaces and, you know, I was there for, to, to help and to say like, you know, I care and I'm there and I'm, I'm willing to, to willing and, and I hope God willing able to help as much as I can, but also to provide encouragement that they're not alone in Sarasota and that there are people all over the country and even people outside of the country who are starting to pay attention and um, who, who want to help and want to know how to help. Um, it's tough. It's tough. When I, one of the things that I said when I was there, when I got a chance to speak and your message that you sent to Nico was really well received and, and it was beautiful and very powerful as you always are. Um, but one of the things that I, um, I, I, I said is, and it's true, what drew me into their story when it was sent to me by a friend was Amin Ra's eyes. They look like my baby's eyes. They're full of light. They're happy. They're joyful. You know how, you know how black babies, when we love on them, they're all nice and oiled and the hair is curled because they got the oils on them. You know, they got cocoa butter and shea and everything. And this is what this baby looks like. And, 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 and immediately just from his face, from, from the light in his eyes, I thought, wait a minute, he is loved. What is going on here? Mm -hmm. And, and I recognize my sons in him. And in all of the children whose pictures were up there and, um, you know, wrong is wrong. Um, I feel like if, if we are a village, you know, independent of how far we are by miles and when you take our children, there has to be a response there, there without our children, we, we don't have anything, you know, there are, there are greatest, wildest dreams, dreams we can't even begin to conceive of they are those things manifest in this world and without them we have nothing Amen. they can't they can't this can't stand so can i i want to ask you like a, a two-part question first of all for for all of those i think pretty much most people know what happened with the situation but some people may not so i, I want you to give like a brief synopsis about what happened and then you know you talked about the rally and the people who were there and some of the stories, can you like give us a couple of the stories? Because this, to me, this is yes. mind boggling. When I yes. first seen this, I couldn't even believe this was happening. So Yeah, I think it's hard for a lot of people to understand. And it's hard for a lot of people to believe. And, I, and I, I'll share a little bit about what brought me to this work and why my baseline is maybe it's easier for me to believe. So I had um, an experience with the birth of my son, Asi. He's now five um, in the hospital that was dreadful. It, you know, they, they did many things wrong and um, uh, many things that are abusive. Like when I explain it to professionals, their jaws drop, <clears throat> the, the kind of physical things that were done to me. And it ended up with my baby being in the NICU for five days. And I had a very healthy pregnancy. There was no reason for him to be sick. Um, but he was hurt during my delivery by, by members of the hospital. And um, that led me to shock. You know, we were we were traumatized and extremely shocked, especially during that first year. We didn't know what hit us. And it wasn't until I became pregnant with my second son, Alejandro, that we just were like, we can't. The hospital became a scary place. I need to find some other way. And I um, in my search found this was welcomed actually by this incredible community 
of Black birth workers and Black midwives and doulas. I started working on a documentary um, that I'm still in the midst of. This this working with Scientation, I have nothing to do with that. But I'm, I'm sorry, Scientation, I have nothing uh, to do with that. But but um, I started interviewing uh, Black midwives and 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 doulas, and I've heard many stories about their work preemptively trying to make sure that CPS child protective services does not, you know, has, has trying to gather, excuse me, trying to gather all of the information. They try to gather as much information during the pregnancy as they can so that if CPS comes, they're armed. You, you see what I'm saying? Because it happens so often, um, mm-hmm. taking newborns away um, um, and then going after other children in the home. So I had a baseline of understanding that when I uh, met virtually with with uh, Tai, I'd heard this before. It wasn't that brand new and it wasn't that far fetched. And um, what often happens, um, this is also something that's common. Saisha went to with lactation concerns. She was weaning Ra in the process of weaning Ra. She was he was a breastfed. Um, solely breastfed baby. And in the process of weaning, you know, anybody who's breastfed their children, I have too, I, it's an experience that I have. Um, either the hospital understands, truly understands lactation and really has lactation people there, or they don't. And um, in this case, you know, it's been brought to my attention that the lactation people in this hospital, this one woman in particular is is horrendous. And um Ultimately, they were there for two weeks. Um, they wanted to give him a very high dose of, of, of vitamin B. Um, Saisha recorded the, 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 the moment when they actually came in to take him, to take Ra away. And she didn't even uh, decline the offer for the vitamin B. What she said was, I want to consult with my husband. And because of COVID, he wasn't able to be there the whole time. He was actually on the phone. And you can hear her in her recording crying and saying, I'm not saying no. I just want to, I want to consult. I want more information. Now, remember, she went to the hospital for help. So they're claiming medical neglect. Um, but to claim medical neglect when you're asking for mm-hmm. medical help, that doesn't make sense. That's that doesn't make sense. And, and Manatee County, uh, where they are, has a history. Um, it's in, there was a USA Today article. They, they, they have a history of, of really doing terrible things to families and taking children out of loving homes. Um, it's incredible that some of those same workers in CPS that are in these articles still have almost a rubber stamp in the county to take children away. Why they haven't been up for review, I don't know how many articles have to be written. There apparently is even a documentary in the works at a major, uh, uh, you know, uh, streaming outlet about these people. And they're not up for review and they still have a rubber stamp even with this family. It's, um, that's, that's only part of their story. Um, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's much more. And then, the, the, and then they came and took, Baby, I want to say it right. I keep saying I, I said, I said, 
Yes, but it's spelled A-S-T. She's named after a goddess. Yeah. Right. So that's the piece, the only other part that I didn't hear. Right, right. So baby Aset. Now, part of the reason uh, Saisha was trying to wean baby Ra at the time she was, was because she was pregnant with Aset. And um, while she was pregnant, when they took, so she was going through all of this in a pregnancy, during a pregnancy. Um, I, I believe Aset was born at home. They had a home birth and, uh, they came and took her with, with no cause other than the fact that they had taken Ra. And that happens often as well. They took her at when she was six, I think about six, I think she was like six days old, days old, um, in an incredible display of force. Do you not feel right. anything? You, just put the baby in you guys, chair. I'm human. This is I my baby. That. My baby is days old. And you're taking my baby away from me. You're taking my baby away from me. You have no heart. This is so wrong. Just give her a second. Can you give her a second? Don't make it seem like, like I'm crazy, not. okay? Yeah. We support. This is normal. You, I know you have children. Sarah. This is my baby. They terrorize this family. For and that's days. where most people, and that's where most people get involved. Because what I mean by that, I'm talking about the general public. Because yeah. prior to that, you knew and others knew, and there were some folks advocating, but it was when they went live during the seizure, if you will, yes. of a child, of a newborn baby, mm -hmm. that the world saw it and said, What in the hell is happening? So people know they had already. They said they were coming to take the baby. The lawyer that was dealing with Ra's case, um, um, Derek McBurrows, that, that this legal team, they're doing an incredible job. Yeah. They, they coordinated with the proper, with CPS, with the agency. They knew she was, she, they were bringing the baby to them. Okay. To CPS. They knew they had to abide by this court order. And when they were on their way, that siege happened. They already were on their way. It's just, and, and that part, the, the terror, the, 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 this sort of active chase, um, and consistent, nonstop, relentless policing of, of these families. That is a very, that it was a common theme in all the stories that were told, uh, uh, yesterday at the rally. It was a, it was a common theme of all of the stories. Um, there's another theme that I find very disturbing that I've found in two stories. That's not, this is not part of Saisha and Tai's story, but two of the mothers that spoke were foster children themselves. Mm -hmm. When you're a foster child, and I'm now learning more about this, so forgive me, people that are out there that know more. If I say this a little off, I'm still learning, okay? When you're, apparently when you're in foster care or you've grown up in foster care, and even after you graduate out of it, which, you know, happens at 18, you're given a number between 1 to 30 that, I guess, states your risk level independent of whether that number was put on you fairly or not. Mm. And that number stays with you throughout your life. And if your number's too high, you're put on a 
live, it's called a live birth list is what I was told. So that when you do give birth in the hospital, they have the right to come and take your child, your newborn baby, based on the fact that you were a foster child, based on whatever you might have been involved with as a teenager, may or may not have. Um, I just find that astounding. I mean, think about that. That's crazy. You were in the system, and so now you're ch- now you belong to us, and your children belong to us. What is happening? What is happening? It's re-traumatizing. It's just like you can't even escape the trauma level. And it's so unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. You know, I I can hear the passion in your voice and just listening to this, it gets you emotional. It does. It does. It's, 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 um, you know, we've, we've learned a language to speak about, um, policing and to speak about, um, the carceral state. And I think a lot of that language applies to what's going on here. Families are being policed. Children are being put into the system and never allowed to get out. Money, dollars are flooding through this system based on the amount of hours that social workers spend with each child. There are bonuses, adoption bonuses. So there are some families, there uh, one woman who spoke was told, even though her case is, there's also, there's also lack of due process happening. No investigation into the home. No, no, none of the things that you think happen with child protective services that should be happening. Is this, okay, so there's this, um, um, assessment that happens. None of those, none of that due process is being followed with any of these families. The belief is we have the right. I want to ask you, like, how can people get involved to help? Like, what, what should we be doing? What, sh- how can we really help this process? Because prior to me hearing from Tamika after you spoke to her about this, I didn't even understand. So, what do people? How, what should they be doing? What should we be doing? How you know there's still another child that um this trying to give back? Like, what is the process? What should we be doing to help? How can we help this people? Well, I. I, I would love even, you know, after this broadcast, Tamika, we've been given phone numbers to Manatee County, the, the right numbers to call so that the pressure is 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 put on the county to do the right thing. I think the fact that a set was given back to them is evidence that this is a safe home. They also have other children in the home who are who are there, who are, you know, it, it's clear that this home is a safe home and a little bit, you know, a little bit about a Saisha and Ty, you know, Ty works with foster children. He's a trusted person who works with foster children. So the fact that this same system is saying, no, you're not worthy, you're not trustworthy to take care of your own is, is insane. So, so those numbers, um, that's one way to help, uh, Saisha and Ty. When you see these stories, post about them because Many of these families, they are, they are calling organizations nonstop. I mean, I keep hearing that from the mothers and fathers. They are, nobody's answering their call, but people will start to answer their call if we answer their call. And that's, that's on, that's on a level of how to help families who are already experiencing it, how to help yourself in some of these situations. Look for the birth workers in your area. 
I'm I'm serious. And, I, and I've said this as a black maternal health advocate, too. This is something that that we talk about and something that even at the legislation level, people are fighting for. You know, there are black midwives. There are black doulas, community midwives, community doulas, people who are not biased, who can help with with your needs um, as parents, even lactation consulting. You know that those questions that that Sai had could have been answered by somebody she was safe with. So that's one way to also protect yourself. There's those are those are those are the two things right now. I mean, Tamika, you know, we're like in the midst. I'm, I, I feel like I'm in the midst of it and also trying to figure out how and I'm so glad that you're doing this po- podcast. How do we raise the alarm? Black Lives Matter activists out there, ACLU people out there, NAACP people out there, legislators that are out there. These families are calling you. This is an issue. And pay attention. They are pay attention. They, they are, are calling. And I'm going to be very straightforward and vulnerable and honest in saying, I don't have an answer, but I'm trying to figure it out. And once something, and this is the thing about until freedom, um, now we have a chat, a long chat where all of the folks who are on our team and people who are with us constantly as we travel across the country, we talk about everything. When we drop this into the chat, it has now become the number one issue that is coming up every day where people are trying to figure out what do we do? We're protesting. So we're like, we're going to go chain ourselves to the Nanatee County, whoever's door. But then you don't want to create a situation where there's retaliation against the family and the babies. So we really have to find the right balance of how to address this issue where we protect families yet vigorously advocate for them because I did not, I, 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 you know, you think I know a lot and I do, but I did not know anything about this dark area of, and I I knew women um, were losing their babies physically, like, you know, children dying and their mothers dying at birth. I know that very maternal um, health issues get that right or maternal treatment maltreatment yeah uh, I knew that was happening but the idea that I watched the Kentucky video that you sent me Miss Sellers and to see I think you posted it my son and once you posted it I think like Snoop or somebody else posted it mm-hmm. following you. I don't know it might have been something different but I know that when I, I showed it to my team, everybody was traumatized. Like, what is happening? Because it did not seem like there had been any prior conversation with her about removing her child. Because she was at the front door with her baby in the, in, the, in the car seat, ready to leave. And the police officer snatched her child and fought her. Unbelievable. And her. It, is, it is unreal. And I think the thing that you said is so true. The trauma and the abuse... And the over-policing, the aggressive policing, the illegal policing, the discrimination, all of those things exist in so many different areas that if, you, if you're if you an advocate that just wants to address the idea that, oh, well, when we're driving, driving while Black, well, now it's having a baby, just being, having a baby. I can't even say while Black because the when we ask the question about Manatee County, 
When we said, there anybody out there that has experienced this, get in touch with us. Most of the people who came back were actually white folks. They were white women. White women who said, I didn't have the money to fight. I didn't have, so you I was on Medicaid. Exactly. So you can tell it's, and I'm sure. Classism. This is classism. Exactly. Exactly. But I'm sure if you do the real numbers and you drill down, you're going to find that there's more black and brown people who are impacted across the nation. But at the end of the day, this is about, as you said, my son, class. It's about who has the money and the resources to have the doulas, to have the uh, 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 additional advocates in the room and those people who don't. And that is unacceptable. Yeah. There's for, for, for people who, you know, um, get excited by the history of it as well. And I mean, excited, not in a happy way. I mean, excited in a, in a, in a, I want to move sort of way, or I can get behind this sort of way it isn't new. This country has a long history of, um, this is why I draw the parallels to, to what's happened in the last couple of years with people protesting and, and, and with police reform or, and, and policing in our neighborhoods. This also has a very, very long history. Mm -hmm. People's belief, um, the, 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 the powerful people, their belief that we are not trustworthy with our children that we are, which is so interesting because we're trustworthy to take care of their children. Absolutely. But we're not trust. We, we don't have the right to our own. Mm. We don't have the, the, the right to, to ask questions about care, about medical care. We don't have the right to, to culturally, you know, make certain decisions about, um, about the way we raise our children. Saisha and Ty are vegan and they believe that that's also a part of what happened to them. That's definitely what happened. Yes, exactly. It's not just them being vegan, it's also their appearance. Yes. Right? When I saw them for the first time on the call that you put together, and I saw especially Ty, who by the way, Ty has this similar, almost the same hairstyle with his dreads as Jay-Z, mm-hmm. to be clear. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how Jay-Z looks with the, the you know, the, the dreads are together, right? Mm-hmm. They're not singular dreads. But that, again, Jay-Z doesn't have to go. He's going to pay for his children to be born in a safe environment, probably a safer environment than you and I could ever even understand, right? right. right. But in size situation, when he walks into any room, except rooms that understand him, People are going to look at him differently. And I knew that that was a major part of what happened here, that they believed that they could um, do what they did to that family based upon appearance and these ideas, these biases that are in the minds of folks who are supposed to be in, or who are in positions of authority. That is not okay. Okay, because as I have been talking to Ty along with you every day, he is intelligent. Okay. He knows everything that's going on. Like you said, he works with foster children. He has other children. How dare you make a determination about a man because of his hair or his clothing or because my son may be wearing a hoodie as Trayvon Martin was wearing a hoodie? How dare we? Right. Right. I, 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 um, 
I one thing that I has been remarkable about them as a family, and I and I want to share this with people because I think it's their source. It, it it is their source of strength, but it also tells you the kind of people they are. Is that in every and Tanika, you can attest to this in every conversation that I've had with them that they he, they always bring up the other families. Absolutely, they always bring up the other families. I know y'all are. I know y'all are helping us. You got to help them too. They were part of this. This is part of what's happening. That I mean, that just goes to show you how they're exceptional. They're really remarkable people. And I got a chance to meet the family this Sunday. They're. I'm so mad that our flights, the hurricane messed up because I was really definitely looking forward to going to that rally and actually meeting with them. But but we're gonna we're not gonna hold you too much longer. I just want to say thank you for your advocacy. And the passion and you know the love that you brought to this. You know, just seeing, just listening to you, you if you're not moved to do something in this situation, then it's just something wrong with you. So we just want to say that we truly appreciate you and we are here for you. We will do all that we can. I, you know, I had a crush on Ashley Banks since I was like 12 and 13 years old. So to see that you aging backwards and, and you come <laughs> with this this level of passion, you know, for the things that really count in our, our society is, is definitely a plus. So I just want to say thank you. Continue to do what you do and we got your back. Definitely. Thank you guys. Listen, you're amplifying the rally right now and, and I know you'll continue to do that. And um, thank you for having me on and, and letting me talk about it and for all, 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 all the work that y'all do. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. And just, you know, it's, here's the go-to message even in, in, in black maternal health and, and advocacy is listen, listen to black women, listen to black fathers, listen to black families. You know, if, if people are calling out, it's hear them, yeah. hear them. We could all do better with that, Tatiana. Yes, Every single can. one of us could do a better job of listening. Thank you for being with us today. We're not leaving your side. We're together in this and thanks for educating us and, and making me aware of something that I should have been involved in a long time ago, but we're here now and we all have a responsibility. We'll see you on the TV screen and in the streets. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, everybody. Thank yes. you so much. Thank you, Queen. Before we go to the next segment and have our special guest join, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here, and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides. Loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. 
And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR. 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? Their year. These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. That's how we own it! Tatiana said something that is really important, and we didn't drill down on it, but it's also supporting Black fathers. Uh, Because I think we automatically, when we think babies, we think moms. And we go directly to moms. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But Ty has been a major advocate in this situation as well. Um, And I think he also needs to be uplifted in that there's probably a conversation that we need to be having about Black men or fathers in general and their side of the trauma and the experience and how we can help and support um, men who are dealing with this, who who if, if, if women can't get support and mothers are experiencing this type of thing, we can only imagine what fathers are going through. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, for me, I had actually seen some level of him before I even seen Saisha. And he, he, like, I felt his pain as a father, just trying to identify, you know, how do you even deal with something like this as a father? You know, he's been very vocal. You can see the love that he has for his children. He expresses it, you know, and um, just going through this, it's, it's got to be a lot. So, you know, I just want to give a shout out to him. I was really looking forward to meeting both of them, but I really wanted to meet him and just in, and tell him how I, I appreciate his representation of Black fatherhood, you know, how he was standing on what he was supposed to stand on and the way that he exhibited the love and the protection for his family in general, not just the kids, but the way he stood by his wife, you know, and they stood by each other. So I just wanted to say that. You know what, though? It was something that Ty said to me, and I can't wait till we have them on, hopefully um, in our next show. We'll be able to have Ty and Sai and some of the other families. That's what we're working on um, behind the scenes. But something that Ty said on the phone the other day, let me tell you what he said. We were talking about what happened at the hospital and the live footage that people saw of, first of all, the baby being taken, baby assets being taken from the car. And then they went to the hospital and they went in the hospital for hours and outside the hospital, they weren't allowed to be with the baby. It was so much happening. And I was on the phone with Tatiana and them, um, just holding on the phone with Ty, listening to a lot of things that was happening. And Ty was very, very controlled. He kept a, a, a cool, even though he was crying at times, 
Uh, Saisha was crying. She was obviously very emotional. But overall, and of course, there, his mother was there. Overall, they still maintain a level of calm that was clearly necessary not to exacerbate the situation. And when we were speaking with him a few days later, Tatiana and I, he said, you know, I had to practice. He said, throughout this process, I have had to practice a level of meditation during all of these incidents because I know that if I'm even a little bit aggressive, just a little bit, the slightest bit, that it will turn into a situation where he could be harmed, hurt, his family could be killed, his children could be taken, his other three children, like it can get, it can escalate to a level. It seems that he said, no one will understand that I'm a father who lost my children and I'm watching my wife hurt, right? It reminded me of when one of the witnesses was on the stand for George Floyd of the black man who we all loved because of how he answered questions his way and not the way that other people think, thought that he should be responding. And at one point when they were asking him about how he was, because remember, he was the person that kept saying, hey, you know, you guys need to stop touching him. But he, he was doing it in a way that they, they said was harassment. They said he was taunting and something else, some other language that they used. But he, he exhibited extreme control. He said, I knew that I had to be in a meditative status. So it's almost like no matter how, it's like to, to Tatiana's point, the same narratives are popping up in so many different places because our experiences across the board are so traumatizing that our men, you as a black man, are having to learn how to experience the worst situations ever, the mass injustice, and focus on meditating so that you can keep yourself and your family safe in the midst of someone doing something that is so unjust. And it really requires, it really, it really, it, it demands that you respond by all means necessary to save your child or whatever, but you can't. And that has got to be in and, in and of itself um, demeaning and oppressive, if you will. It is. It is very demeaning, especially when you are alpha male, you know, and, and you and you speak with affirmity. You're very affirmative and you speak from affirmative point of view and you have some levels of aggression. This is how you communicate naturally. And we know that that's been weaponized against us. You know, police use it as they feel like they're threats for their lives. You know, since we've been in school where we've been deemed uncontrollable throughout our lives those natural attributes of manhood that we actually possess have been weaponized against us. And then is this is in this situation is no dis no different. So looking at this situation, I understand exactly what the man in the George Floyd trial had to deal with. I understand exactly what, you know, um, Ty had to deal with. When me and you were at the American Airlines, I had to exhibit the same level of control because I understood and still I was you know, I still had to deal with whatever situation and I didn't do anything. I was so much under control because I understood this is the narrative that you want to paint. 
You want to paint the narrative that I'm this aggressive black man. I'm already, you know, kind of stocky and bigger. So I have to deal with those situations. So as black men, we always have to lessen our emotions. We have to be in full control because the minute that we show any level of aggression, a raising in our voice, a, 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 a vein in your forehead can put you and your family at risk. Wow. Well, I'm sorry. I wish there was something that we could do about it. Um, and we are, we're fighting, but it's unfortunate. It really is. It really is. I heard that and it brought up in me that we just deal with too much. And Black men certainly um, are dealing with a lot. So Tatiana Ali, another one of our friends, she's a new friend. But new friend. The friend. I told her I had a question. Ashley Banks, since I was a kid, ain't no, it's nobody in the world that didn't love Ashley Banks. And yeah. to watch her grow into this woman with that level of passion, just listening to her, you know, how intelligent she is, how passionate she is, and how much of a humanitarian, that's a humanitarian spirit that she has, man. It's, it's inspirational and motivational. No, it is. It is. And, you know, we, we find too many celebrities that just want to be a celebrity, but she's stepping into something that is very, very dangerous um, because, you know, people making a whole lot of money. A whole, whole lot, lot of money, money in his mouth. They are. They are. So there's there's so many different things happening. Uh, we just, in this conversation, when we're talking to Tatiana, I'm thinking about our next guest um, who's joining us right now. And I was thinking about how so many things are connected that many of us don't see and don't hear about because it's not in our everyday lives. Um, but what we know um, about issues with CPS and to be very clear, which is the child protective services around the nation, we're certainly not indicting all CPS workers or the entire system. Um, but just like every other system in America, there's loopholes, there's failures, and there is a need for an overhaul, a cleanup, tear down, and a rebuild of something that actually fits the times and the needs of the world that we currently live in. Um, and I met this young sister who is now joining us, Tony D. Rivera, some time ago. It's been many years. I met her alongside yeah. Yandy Smith Harris and our, you know, our manager, Latoya Bond, and others who sing her praises. In fact, um, I've watched her on interviews with The Breakfast Club, with our brother Charlemagne the God, and, and others um, across the, the country and probably now around the world listening to her story of being one who used to participate in helping to traffic young women um, and is now engaged in saving young women and men, young girls and boys, um, and helping to free them. And uh, I, you know, I don't know, Tony, I'm glad you're here with my son and I on uh, Street Politicians today. And some people would say that these two situations that we just talked with Tatiana Ali about a family that lost their children in uh, Sarasota, Florida, Saisha and Tyreen, um, you know, let's make sure we call the baby's names, uh, baby Ra, and then also baby Aset, who is now reunited with her family, a newborn baby. They've been going through this for six months. And as a result of us learning, we now started to learn a lot more about many of the families. There are lawyers and advocates who have different terminology. Some people are calling it legal kidnapping. 
Some people are calling it medical kidnapping. Some people are saying it's just failures in the system. Others are saying that we, we're crazy and that, it, you know, the system is right and, and everybody else is wrong. But something, something is going on. My intuition tells me something is happening. And I'm trying to figure out how, because I don't believe anything happens by chance. We've been trying to find ways to work together for many years. And somehow or another, these two things collide where I see big money. Some, and my son, we just talked about this in the other interview. I mean, Tatiana ran down a list of ways that people are making money. She said, even, even, she said, Tony, and, and, and hi, Tony, because I'm, I'm talking so much, but we haven't introduced you formally into the show. So Tony Rivera is with us. Thank you, Tony, for being here. Thank you all for having me. But Tony, Tatiana ran down, and you know Tatiana Ali is a young lady who was on, we know her, uh, well, we know her for a lot of things, but we love her for, uh, what's her name, Ashley, Ashley Banks on uh, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And so she's engaged. She's the one that got us involved. She ran down a list of ways that money is being made. Bonuses for adoption. Yeah. Uh, money for hours that a, a child sits with a social worker. Clearly yeah. the foster care system. And she said some other things. So money is being made somehow. Don't leave out you, what, what you did. What the most important thing she left out is when it comes to CPS and with this whole system and with the money and everything, she left out the kids if they're triplets, if they're twins, mm. if they're girls, and if they're boys. There's money. I learned. Yes. Yes. You get money for all of that. Yeah. Um, now, my son, did you hear what she said? If it's <laughs> multiple children, if yes. they're twins, mm -hmm. and if it's boys, Mm -hmm. Or if it's girls. If it's girls, yes. It's just everything that you're saying and you're saying everything is crossing the same line, the same path, it's just like trafficking. You can call it um, medical kidnapping, legal kidnapping, all of it is trafficking. It's trafficking. And how is it trafficking? You, you may ask how. How is trafficking is I'm taking you from someone and I'm putting you somewhere else. You don't necessarily have to be in the same state. You can go to another state, but once you land into that home, you don't know what's going on in that home. So you said we don't know what's happening. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know what's happening. Um, it's, it's all under the same umbrella. All under the same umbrella. So Tony, let's talk about the story that you tell, or every day you tell this story about what happened to you, how you got into the trafficking business and why you decided to be on the other side, which is an advocate to end it. And I, and at some point we need to ask the question and, you know, I'm sure my son's going to want to know this about your safety, but let's put that, you know, towards the latter part of this convo and just talk to us about your story. Well, I'm from South Carolina, small town in South Carolina. Um, one night me and my friends decided to go to Atlanta. I'm going to give you the short version. Um, we decided to go to Atlanta to the freak meet. Wasn't supposed to be there. We were supposed to actually be in the house at another friend's house at a sleepover. Got down there and I fell into the wrong hands. Um, I wasn't a kid that was brought up about knowing about stranger danger. 
Um, I wasn't a kid brought up where I had to look at everybody as an enemy. Um, I just fell in the wrong hands. Um, the gentleman approached me. He started buying me things. Um, he started doing, the, giving me the honeymoon stage, just doing things for me. And that night, we wound up in a club in Atlanta. And he knew I liked to dance because that's what he seen me doing at the Freak Me at that time. And we went to a club. And next thing I know, I hear on the the DJ saying, um, Southern Bell, you know, and I'm like, that's, I didn't know who they was calling, you know. And um, I later found out that it was me because he came up to me and was like, um, go ahead to the stage. So I went to the stage and still not knowing what was going on. Um, really into it now because I see all this money being thrown at me. Um, I'm dancing and I just see all this money. After I get finished dancing, I come off the stage. He gave me a bag and he was like, I was like, so what I got to do with the money? And he said, it's yours. Still not knowing he's basically sugarcoating it, trying to woo me in or whatever. Um, after that, I went back to South Carolina like the next day. I came back. Um, weekend, we, we, I thought he was my boyfriend. We saw each other on and off. At you know other black urban events, we saw each other, not knowing that he was actually keeping tabs on me. I left um, my twelfth grade year. I left South Carolina and I was going off to school, University of Pittsburgh. Get there and um, you know I was leaving and he told me to come see him, so I stopped in Charlotte, North Carolina, to go see him. And he didn't let me leave. Mm. He didn't let me leave. He kept me there. Um, when I tried, he would let me go back and forth home like a day or so, but I had to always come back. But when I was like, I'm done, I'm tired. I'm, I don't want to do this no more. I couldn't leave no more. It was like all my freedom was taken. And then we would just went from state to state, um, recruiting girls. Um, I did wind up at University of Pitt. Um, I talked to the females every day who um, I actually was going to put my claws into, you know, but something hit me and was like, don't do that. And I helped them actually escape when we was at the University of Pittsburgh. So I keep in close contact with them and talk to their kids. And, you know, we, I'm teaching. I'm teaching a lot of people and not just Black people, you know, what's mm -hmm. going on and how this thing I've got schools that are actually asking me to like come in and speak to their freshman kids when they're coming in because, and I tell parents with kids that are leaving home from school, from high school going to college, it's free game. It's free will wow. because they, they're there. They don't have nobody telling them to go in. If they become friends with the RA, it's really on and popping then. People can do anything. So I give tips to parents of how to do and what to do. Um, actually with Shawnee O'Neill, um, what was going on with when her, I think it was her daughter or somebody went off to school and she was just scared out of her mind. And, um, someone hit her up and was like, yo, you need to get these tips. So I, she didn't hit me up. So they asked me to email them to her. So I emailed her the tips of what to look out for. Um, 
how to pinpoint your kid, how to how to know where your kid is at in in any time of day. Um, there's just a lot of tips that I give. But with the recruiter thing, how that started, to go back into the story, I wasn't getting paid, you know, to do recruiting. I wasn't getting paid. Um, it was, you know how you say you, misery loves company. Yeah. But at the end of it, you've been hurt so much, so you don't mind hurting others. Yeah. That right. was my mind. That was my mind frame. That was my mind frame. Um, I'm hurting, so why not let somebody else hurt? And my big thing was going to the churches because I knew, I knew what I was looking for. It wasn't so much as praying on the week. It was more, I'm a, I'm a Christian girl. I went to church every Sunday. Um, I know what I'm looking for. I know when you're coming up to the altar every Sunday. You asking for something. You 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 wanting something. Maybe it's um, money, clothes, shoot, hot something. You're asking. So I'm gonna point. I'm gonna pinpoint you out when you leave out of that church, and I'm gonna ask you what is it that you want. What what you keep praying for? I see you go to the office every Sunday. What is it that you praying for? So that was my main place is the churches, and you got so much of it going on right now in the churches that the pastors don't even know. They don't even know. Mm-hmm. This? Even, even like with COVID, um, you had churches that were still open in Cali, and there was a lot going down there. But with COVID, COVID made everything worse when it came when it comes to um, sex trafficking and this medical kidnapping, because they're asking the parent, um, the young lady that's in Lexington, Kentucky. I don't know if you guys saw that. This is my baby Cooper. I'm talking right here. This is what I'm talking. So look, what y'all want to talk about? What do y'all want to talk about? The baby's not staying here. Look, let me tell you something. The baby does not have any drugs in the system. Does he? Does he? Does he? Hold on. You're gonna hurt my baby. You let go. You're gonna hurt my baby. You let go. Don't do that. You let go. Hey, don't do that to me. Let go. Let go of me. Please. No, 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 no. You guys, I have my phone alone. You guys cannot do this to me. I know, but you guys are trying to take my baby. Please let go of me. Please I'll cut it back if you don't let go of your arm. No, please. Let go of your arm. I'll cut it. Let, please, let go of Okay, well, my ex-husband is a yeah. lawyer. He's down there in Lexington. Um, He actually was the ADA, and what made him quit was the... um. Brianna Taylor. Now mm-hmm. he quit after that. But uh, my ex-husband, he confided in me and told me some things. The reason what was going on, they're targeting black people because mm-hmm. they know we're not taking this vaccination. We're not. So he, how he explained it is like they're actually saying that we're neglect if we're neglecting ourselves, what use are we gonna do with the babies? Uh, we're going to neglect them if it's when it's time for them to get um, vaccinated or whatever. But he said that's a lot to do with it. He said the lady did not have any drugs in her system. The baby did not have any drugs in her system. He said what happened is she asked one of the other nurses to come in um, because the baby's foot was turning blue. 
Um, and she asked them, could they loosen it? And the nurse that came in was like, it's fine. So she asked for somebody else to come in. So it was, it was more of a racial thing with them. Yeah, they didn't like, like you to ask questions. Yes. And she started asking questions and that's when it went south. And he told me, he said, Tony, there's going to be so many more kids that are being taken, especially coming from Hispanics and black women. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because it's, there's so much money to be made. So, you know, I, I want to go back a little bit. You know, when I'm, when I'm listening to your story, and it seems like the common theme in, in these situations, like when, when we, even when we look about the R. Kelly situations, a lot of these women, uh, is 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 it mental, emotional? Why why aren't women able to leave? Like you said, you went, came back home. He would let you leave for, and you didn't really want to be there. What is it that keeps you there? Like, what is the 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 the, the factor that keeps you there? What, and this goes back to um, the hospital thing, molding a child. That's why they want them young. Also, that's why they're kidnapping these kids because they're going to mold them into what they want um as far as keeping me in the life and what make women stay i don't it's bourgeois to me when it comes to oh they were brainwashed mm-hmm. that's not it if someone tells you that that's just a example that they're giving that they don't want to give you the real example the real reason the real reason what i've found and for me um what I'm going to leave for is nothing better out there for me. He's taking care of me. Um, even though he's not giving me money and the things that I want, I still have a roof over my head. I, I, I eat if I do good. Um, I get praised if I, um, if I bring a certain amount of money in. Um, it's all these things that come with that lifestyle. Nine times out of ten, you wasn't getting it before you came in. Your life was worse, way worse than what it is before you got in that lifestyle. And that's how it was with me. I came from um, a pretty decent family. Um, I was molested. I was raped. And when I got into the lifestyle, it was like, for me, okay, if I'm giving it up to my cousin who's raping and molesting me, why not give it up to a, a complete stranger for free? Wow. So do you think that those, so those things play a factor? Do you, yeah. Based on your, you know, your expertise, are a lot of the women who you become involved in this, have they been raped or molested prior to them engaging in this lifestyle? A lot of them have. A lot of them have. They don't know how to cope with um, with everyday life. Um, they don't know how to cope with the trauma that they had in their past life, you know, when they were younger. So it's coming out. If you don't get counseling or some some sort of counseling for it, um, mental illness play a big part in sex trafficking. When I say huge, it plays a huge part. Um, and I'm speaking not only for me, but for others, you know, when it comes to mental illness and and not getting the help that we need before we went and crossed that street to get into this lifestyle. Yeah, you spoke a little bit about the R. Kelly case. You know, we had talked a little, in that you were here in New York doing something yeah. regarding that. Yeah, um, 
<laughs> so I've been in New York, back and forth in New York, probably since June. Um, mm-hmm. I've been doing my little stakeouts where I've been going around to shelters, staying in shelters for my organization, looking for girls, looking for kids. And that's a whole nother story right there. Um, but I found a lot of them that are in the shelters here in New York. And the people don't even know at path what's going on. Um, but the R. Kelly thing, um, young lady, uh, I think her name was Fernandez. I believe that was her name. She reached out to me and asked me, could I meet them in Brooklyn to come and just give them not, um, advice, but they wanted to basically have me listen to the questions that they were going to ask. So they don't do like, um, they don't ask a question and it triggers somebody in there. Um, they want to ask the question the right way. So it was more of a consultant thing where I go in and they're asking and we're talking and they just want to know what questions to ask versus them asking a question and it triggers something and it manipulates whatever the witness is saying on the stand. Okay. So are you saying, before, I don't want to interrupt you, but to bring it back a little bit, so you're saying that the shelter is one of the pre- places that people yes. are preying on the young girls and, and getting them engaged in the lifestyle? Yeah, I won't say the name. Um, I was in a shelter here in New York uh, for like three weeks. Mm-hmm. I made six rescues. The last rescue I made was um, July 12th. Um, the young lady who was here, a gorilla pimp was in the shelter and her bottom bitch was in the shelter. She had a baby, so they asked her to train. It's like a whole workup. And, you know, that's my big thing with coming back to New York because I'm like, I need to talk to Eric Adams. I need to let him know you got to do something. You, you have to do it because New York was all the way down, y'all, to number 10. Ask me where New York is at now. Mm, mm. Two. Mm. two. New York is number two for the hub spots of sex and human trafficking. It's number two now. It was 10. Who, who's number one? Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Atlanta, Georgia's number one. Atlanta's number one. New York's number two. Florida's three. Texas, four. California, five. Um, New Orleans is six. Colorado is seven. Oregon is eight. Um, Boston is nine. And what's crazy is Arizona is fucking 10. How crazy is that? Mm. Wow. Arizona is 10. That's crazy. So so you're living in the shelter? No, I was. That's the thing that you do is you physically, you know, very similar to us. We move to other places to be closer mm-hmm. to our, you know, whatever we're fighting for, and including, and, and of course, most notably, when we moved to Louisville, Kentucky, to fight for Breonna Taylor, which is dangerous. It's dangerous. Yeah. The surveillance that we experienced, the uh, tear gassing, the flash bombing, people being arrested. Again, in the surveillance area, we have seen, I mean, we've seen it all. We have seen people in the bushes across the street from our house that our security found, lights being 
on our house all night long where they're just trying to intimidate us. Helicopters flying low over our residence where we're staying so that they can get surveillance on what we're doing and even probably to get recording of the conversations going on in the house. Drones. I mean, we experience all of that. I can't imagine what it is to be living in a shelter and how dangerous it is that at some point, I mean, you are known. People know you. So it's not like you're you're not undercover. People know why you're there. Yeah, but they, you know, um, I always talk to the directors um, when I came in because I did it just like everybody else would do it. Um, You go through paths, tell them you're homeless, and it goes from there. Wherever they place you, that's where I start looking. I let the director know that next morning who I am, what I do. I've had, I've been in a total of 10 shelters since May here in mm. New York. And every one of the directors actually followed me on social media. And they was like, shoot, we, we don't know what you're doing here and what's going on. And I had to sit down and just talk to them like, I'm doing this for my organization. I say, I don't, I'm not your regular organization. I'm here because New York is a hub spot. And I found out why New York is a hub spot. If I'm 16 and I'm pregnant, I can go to a shelter. I can go to PATH, fill out information, state that my parents have kicked me out, even though they probably haven't. They're going to place me in a shelter. I'm going to have 10 days where that case is pending. If I'm the eligible or if I'm ineligible, if I'm ineligible, they're going to keep placing me up for a total of 90 days. If I'm eligible, they're going to find me an apartment with um, either Section 8, City Phelps or Sosa. Those are the three here in New York. Once they find me an apartment, I can set up shop. I can move Mm -hmm. my gorilla pimp in. I can move my bottom bitch in. I have my baby. The next in line is going to use my baby. I'm not going to put the father's name on the birth certificate. My name is going to be on the birth certificate. Whoever goes in with this baby is going to say, hey, I'm taking care of this baby because the mother is incarcerated. She's either my sister or cousin. And it is going to continue, continue, and continue. Meaning they take the baby away from the, so she sold her baby. Pretty much. So you have a lot of that that is going on in the hospital and in the shelters. Um, the last one I did, like I was saying back in July, this young lady, she actually ran the whole game down to us. We took her to um, back out to Brooklyn. It was called, I think it was the 75th. It was either the 75th or the 79th precinct. We took her back out there because that's where she came from. She's actually from Atlanta. She said it was a total of eight gorilla pimps in that shelter, along with their sneaker pimps in their bottom ditches. Two ladies had they given birth. They're in the shelter. One came back with the baby. The other one didn't. Wow. Come to find out the baby was taken by ACS. By the time they found where the baby was at, um, the girl was pregnant again. So it's like an open and ongoing cycle here in New York. And it's like nobody's even caring. They're not teaching the ACS workers or the DHS workers um, the tips. They're not showing them how to weed these people out, how to vet them. How, they're not showing them anything. The directors are actually coming to me asking me how to do it. So when you say you are, you are, we're winding down and, you know, 
we just did a six week series on gun violence because there's so many areas and things you need to get into. And now I'm like, we got to do, uh, you know, several series, um, you know, uh, we have to do several shows and have a series on this issue as well. Because one of the things that I'm sure we will not get into enough in this conversation is that it's not just women. It's not just girls. No. There are boys and men who are also caught up in the same system. And people often think of the male as being the perpetrator and not the victim. And yet no. there is. So we want, I want to hear about that. But, 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 but the thing I want to ask you is, when you say you saved them or you rescued these women, let's not say saved. I think saved, they, I don't really like us to use the word saved, yeah. but that they were rescued. Mm-hmm. What does that look like, right? How, like, what's the process of it? And then for your own safety, once people recognize why you're there, what is what happens when you come into contact with the bottom bitch, as you said, or the gorilla pen? How do you navigate those things? <laughs> well, how to rescue usually works. I go up to them and I ask them, you know, you good? Um, it's just like the gift of gab. You got to know how to talk to people. You have to know the words to say. If you don't know the words to say, they're going to look at you crazy and they're going to walk away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, usually when I'm doing a rescue and there's somebody there, I usually go and be like, yo, can I pick a rose? I need to pick a rose right quick. What's up? They'll come talk to me. They'll tell me, yo, you can go see such and such if you pick you some roses, but I can put you some down if you, um, if you really, if you want them now, but you don't know if the petals is going to be okay. So you have to really look them over to make sure the petals stick together. That means I can go grab you some off the corner, bring them to you, but you got to check to make sure if their teeth is good, if they got gonorrhea, if they got any kind of STD, but you got to check them over. Um, once you do that or she do that, they bring them to me. I pretty much can tell the ages of them. Um, so when I'm talking to them, I'm asking them, like, do you want to stay? Once we leave the situation, I get a hotel room. Um, I call whatever police precinct is near me. I dial 911, let them know I've done a rescue. I have such and such people here. Um, can you can send somebody over? They usually come. So many t- task force have been like demolished when it comes to sex trafficking because of, you know, they, they, they defund the police and other stuff like that is, is not as many task force. So I'm basically out here on my own unless I'm calling the police. And sometimes I can't even call the police because they don't trust the police. They've had so many dealings with the police. So they don't trust the police. And, you know, I'm not too big of a fan of calling the police myself because mm-hmm. I don't trust them because of what happened to me when I was in the life of right. trying to get helped by a cop, you know, and, um, they don't want me to. So usually I ask them, yo, you know how to get in contact with any of your family members or anything like that. And I call them and usually I send a ticket to come pick them up or I get on the plane because I don't put them on a bus or anything like that. I would get on the plane with them and I would drop them off at home. Um, but yeah, that's one young lady who I rescued that was from here. Um, her family actually came out. She had been missing for six years. Good God. Six years from um, the hospital. And a family a hospital here in New York. Yes. And she was, they, the guy told her that she was in Arizona. She had, when her family got there, 
they thought I had kidnapping. Um, the police had to let them know, like, no, she don't want to leave this lady's house. Um, so we, they had to stay outside of my house for my protection. But during that night, we went and we rescued a total of 32 more girls because she led us where everybody was staying at. She thought she was in Arizona, but she knew the hotel and the area in Gardena where she was staying at. So we wound up rescuing 32 more girls in that night. And it all left from that one girl who had been missing for six years from ACS taking her from the hospital from her mom and putting her back. And she told us the night they took her, two days later, the foster dad sold her to the crime. That is, that is just crazy. Listening to these stories, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that you're pretty much a blessing. Like we always say those closest to the problem have to be the solution. You know, the work that we do with anti-violence and, you know, getting people off the street. I know my background in the streets, you know, and being formerly incarcerated and knowing how, like you say, the lingo, talking these roses and petals, yeah. like, those things are necessary. You know, and, and when we talk about defunding the police, you know, and, and just to just to give a little background, it's about giving people like you the resources, right? It's about yeah. getting a bunch of people like you to be the first line of defense to go in and them coming behind you instead of going in there, scaring the girls, locking the girls up, giving yeah. them all type of millions of years. So we 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 definitely want to make sure that people the work that you do, you should be paid the same salary that police officers get paid, right? And they're supposed to be working in connection with you. Hand so hand in hand with you. So when you call them, they're supposed to know what it is. They're supposed to give you the first option to go into these communities because you speak the lingo, you understand what they're dealing with, you know how to bring these, rescue these these girls. And, you know, so that's what it is for us. So, and, and a lot of times, like you said, what they're doing is trying to weaponize it because we, we, yeah. we want... We, we want to be able to say, hey, the people who have been through this, who, who understand what's going on in these communities, need to be the people that we, we, we lean on who are the first responders to these situations. So they're like, well, let them do it by themselves. You know, yeah. we, 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 we don't want to do anything. And, and that's not what it should be. It should be, you know, the, the people who understand the community, the people who understand what's going on with these people are the first line and the police is supposed to be there to back them up. And I think when we work in units in that way, It'll be beautiful, but the work that you're doing, the work that you're doing is phenomenal. You know, I just want to let you know that we I don't want to hold Thank you too long, but the work that you're doing is phenomenal. And you know, whatever we can do, like Tamika said, we want to probably I think we need to do like a six week series on this and really talk about what's going on, you know, and how because people don't know this listening to you and just listening to all of these things and just listen to how you psychologically and the gab and the way that you understand this is is something that we might be able to see, you know, yeah. just getting these these pointers from you and we around situations like this that we probably are directly right don't even know. every day. We at you church are you saying churches yeah. we're at church all the time with people and we don't know what's going on as these young girls and, and situations. Mm -hmm. So we, we definitely need to get some more insight from you. And this definitely is not going to be our last interview with you. And I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing. Tony, so, I, I, I share my son's sentiments. And I just have been really working on vulnerability and being honest because I finally have made it to a place in my career and in my life where I can say what the hell I want to say and be yeah. honest about who I am and I'm no longer living for an, a facade of what people want to see. 
And so I've been working at when things come up in me that need to be stated, regardless of how people will like take it, I'm going to say. So I want to say I apologize to you publicly because this topic scares me so much that I have literally been running from (laughs) I working together. Because first of all, I have so much trauma in what I'm already dealing with every day. It's so much trauma in addressing police violence. It's so much trauma in dealing with racial justice. Um, There's so much trauma wrapped up in the work that we do every single day, watching people murdered, listening to people who are incarcerated, telling their stories, trying to help. To have someone then come into your world and say, and they're trafficking women and men or boys and girls. And there's all this stuff that has to be done. Now I got them taking babies from the hospital. I literally am afraid of what will happen to those of us who are already mentally strained, trying to make space for another issue that is so serious. I mean, we, we and you know, I, you know that I love it and care for you, and 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 that and that um, you know I understand the significance of the issue. Yeah. But to my son's point, we can't do nothing. We 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 just can't. Like we cannot sit and allow this stuff to be happening around us and do nothing. I got a Instagram tag today and several of the people I work with were also tagged and I'm sure they're afraid to <laughs> deal with it. Too. We don't even know. You don't even know. I do not. If somebody kills, if a police officer or even a, 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 a shooting that happens among us or a murder that happens among us. I know the steps. I know yeah. the steps that have to be taken. I know how to get people on the phone. I know how to get media there. I know how to support families. I know how to raise money. I know how to organize rallies. I know what to do. I'm an expert in dealing with what I do. That's a fact. Yes. But when somebody comes to me and tells me the kind of story I heard this morning, I don't know the first place to go to address someone sending me a post where a woman is saying, help me, because she was in a Walmart or Costco. Costco. Yeah. I I, I talked to the police. Um, With the white investigators. And the the black girl. And the the young Mm -hmm. black girl is clearly disturbed by something. In fact, the adults who are there, the white adults that are there, mm-hmm. they, the woman looks like she might actually be experiencing some type of trauma herself. And yeah. to your point, it may now be being inflicted upon this young girl who's there mm-hmm. in the mix with them who probably should not be placed with that family. I'm, I sat there this morning and sent the message to our group and said, what do y'all think? And we started talking about it. But that's where it stopped. Because nobody in our group knows step one is to do this, right? Yeah. And I and I almost feel bad that step one is to call Tony, call Tony, call Tony. Because how much can you call Tony unless we are financially supporting Tony to be able to expand what it is that she's doing? So I'm just, I'm sorry that I have not been more present but I'm being very honest and saying this scares me. As you should. 
<laughs> it's no age limit to that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give you a funny moment. So, you know, we, like you said, we've known each other for years. Fucking around with Yandy, crazy them. Yes, that's right. And she always so, like, we gotta help Tony. Yes, her and Toy always hit me up. That's right. And what's crazy is all the rescue I've been doing, Tamika. I don't do the shit for you know to be publicized. I do it because I don't. Now I have in my mindset, I don't want these kids to go through what I went through. What really made me really start doing it was because I saw the signs of somebody tried to kidnap my daughter when she was six years old on the number six train on 125th street. I fucked this man up. They took him to the hospital, but they arrested me. Arrested you. They arrested me. It took people that was there at 125th street to tell the cops, no, he was trying to pull her daughter out of her arm. He fractured my daughter's arm. Wow. We found out 72 hours later that this man was a person of interest in Oregon, New Mexico, and um, Las Vegas for kidnapping four girls. Wow. So then they called me and my husband. We get down there. And my husband said to me, and my, my, husband, my husband got locked up when I knew my husband when he was young, before he got locked up. He got locked up. He's what you call, he was what you call um, a juvenile lifer. He made up the whole term, juvenile lifer. He had like all his backing and all that. He got locked up when he was 14 and didn't get out until he was 31. Mm. Um, my husband knew who I was. Like I said, when he was young, he knew who I was. Um, when this happened, he told me, he said, don't you think it's time now? It's time now for you to tell your story. He said, because I remember them ass whooping you used to get in Philly, you know, coming in, money short. He was like, it's time now. He was like, it's only years past. You working as a nurse. You people thinking that you just this up and up and nice lady. They don't know your life story. So you think you should tell them. So to skip ahead, me rescuing all these little black kids, some white, some Hispanic. Do you know what got me my verification badge to me and my son? I want y'all to hear me when I say this. Do you know what got me my verification badge? Mm, And I put it on my page. I found a 40-year-old white lady down on Skid Row who had been missing for two years who just gave up her kids. She was being sex trafficked. They had been looking for her. We even posted it on my page and um, did a live when we found her and everything. Come to find out. That's when you got a verification on social media. Yes, that's when I got when I when I found her and we found out a week after that when they these people called me and asked me to come because they was like we've been trying to find her for two years. We gave you her picture and you found her in three days. Mm. What the hell? I found out she was actually her husband is this big time producer ex-husband is this big time director producer. I never met the man over there in Hollywood. And he's the one who gave me my donation and was like, people need to know who you are. I woke up the next morning. I had a verification badge. So yeah. this, uh, I say that to say. So you got a verification for helping to rescue a white woman who was grown. Yes. But she was babies, 52. Babies. Mm-hmm. Babies. You didn't get no verification for that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nope. 
Tony, we got to We got to go. Oh, I'm burdened today. And every time I talk to you, I'm burdened. And let me tell you, people are the same way with me. <laughs> My son knows. Soon as they see me, they just be like, "Woo, it's a lot." Like we will yeah. talk to you. They are. They like we love Tamika, but it's just too much. Like it's I, too it's much. much. I, I I'm thinking about times that my son, myself, and others have gone to Jada Pinkett's house, right? And MC Lytle meet us over there, and we got other friends, and we'll all get together at Will and Jada's house, and we end up talking about so many different issues that at times the whole room is like okay wait it's too much but then they still want more because they want to know so then what so what do we do here jade is like with her checkbook out writing the check to the people i'm telling her over here need help she's doing a show creating um you know she's figuring out with her producers how she's gonna do a show on this issue Light is calling this one to get them to post the thing and the thing. We got a full work session going on while trying to enjoy just being together because there's so much shit happening. happening. We can't sit and not discuss these things when we get together. Yeah. I always say black people need a meeting every single every day. Every single day. Yeah. Every day we got to yeah. have a meeting. So what I want to say is people oftentimes say protect to meet the Mallory at all costs. And we have to be saying the same thing about Tony Rivera. That's right. Protect Tony at all costs. How do people give to you today? How can they give? Um, I usually just give my information out, Brazil, uh, to go straight to Rose, because I don't want anything coming to me. It goes straight to my organization. Um, I think it's time. I have to look at it again. I know it's Tony at Rose slash organization.com. So you don't have a cash app or your website doesn't have a link. Do we need to do all your business, Tony? When I say Tamika, let me tell you, that's why I told Miss Toya, um, I think I'm going to need management again because I'm trying to do everything on my own <laughs> and I'm really not able to because um, I got so much going on. I got like six projects I'm doing. I just finished so many pitch decks. I finished four pitch decks for podcasts, two reality shows. I mean, I'm just, then I just got my own um, Tony D. Rivera production started. So I'm just like, I'm moving because I'm coming out of the, the rescuing. And, you know, I'm coming out of that because of my kids. Um, my kids are older. I got three that are in college. Um, my 14-year-old, she wants to be, you know, live a little. But everybody come up to her and like, yo, is Tony D. Rivera your mom? If they see me and her out, um, they see my boys in school. So it's like, you know what? I'm going to pull back from the, you rescue. know, from the rescuing. Yeah. Rescue side. So they can live a little. So I say, you know what? I'm going to go focus on me and concentrate on me. Well, people need to give you some money to be able to do that. And of course, the work continues. You need to be able to hire. You should have, to my son's point, Tony needs to have a major building organization somewhere where there are many people that are working just like we would have. That's why we say defund the police. I heard you saying that earlier, and I know what you're saying is that because of the budget cuts in some yeah. departments and in the police, in the police and, and in the cities, they will say they don't have enough money, enough money. to mm -hmm. continue to do this work. But that's about prioritization because yeah. they got enough money to buy their own weapons of mass destruction. 
where they are, where they bring tanks out to meet protesters in the street. Okay, so that's that's how we say defund the police, because money needs to be shifted from policing and over policing to things like what you're talking about. But we want to give the information you just gave us. It ain't together. We need to help you. But for today, we're going to you stay behind. We're going to get your Zelle and we're going to put it out and make sure that people know how they can give you money because you need to be funded and supported. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I've been trying to do my little thing, but I'm, I look at it as, you know, everybody said, oh, Tony, you need money and you're not the first one to say it. And I've always said it to Miss Toya and Andy. I'm looking at this thing as God is using me for a vessel. Yes, right. I can't put a price tag on what he's using me for. Um, me putting a price tag on it is is really like um, it's like demoting me and, and pushing him his agenda aside. There's no price. Yeah, it's no price. Um, I'm helping kids get out of a lifestyle that God allowed me to go through. You know, and I look at it. He knew I was a survivor. He knew I was a strong person. So he let me go through this. So I, I'm I'm helping him. So as far as like with the money and aspect and all that, I don't, I use the shit coming out of me in my husband's pocket. No, we're not rich. We do. No, 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 Tony. <laughs> we've done. Thank you for your time. But we're not going to do because we've done that. We've done that. And not only have we put out so much, we still do. We still do it. I was just, the other day, we were somewhere and I was watching my son literally paying for organizational expenses with his personal card. I do it all the time. I book flights on my own. If I get a check from speaking somewhere and some money comes in, I use and he will attest to this and so many others because they know I will use some of that money for me personally to pay for organizational expenses because we don't want to run out of money to do our work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I know all about what you're saying. And there are people who try to tell us that we shouldn't have money to do what we do. We vehemently reject that. We vehemently reject it. If you can give money to celebrities for music and, and entertainers and, and, and athletes to play ball, you can also help people like a Tony Rivera, my son, Lena, Tamika Mallory, Erica Fords, and so many others that's doing work to be able to do what we do. So... We gonna put your Zell information. That's what we gonna do. And help you. That's right. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. It's so funny because when I'm looking at Tony, I see that she's overwhelmed. You know, she's she's overworked. She's overwhelmed. That's no joke. That's a burden. That's a burden. And the fearlessness, which is still there's fear even in the fearlessness. Um, of getting out there and being like, I'm going at it no matter what. That's some serious stuff, Mike. Yeah, man. And that just and that brings me to my I don't get it. Hmm. You know, I, I just I don't get how people prey on our kids. You know, I, I like I really don't like as a man who 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 see who really wants to be a protector and a provider for children. Like, I don't see how you look at a young girl, six years old, 10 years old, any teen years old. And you babies, see her as six months babies. old. Like, how do you prey on our children? 
Like, what is the, what, you know, it has to be some mind state. I don't even, I can't even identify, like, what it would take to be a grown adult-ass man and pray on our babies, man. And it, it, to me, man, that's the work. And, no, man and women. We got to change the language. Oh, yeah. But the thing is this, most time the women who are doing it ha- are being victimized. Not necessarily. The, Let me well, say, I mean, from what I'm seeing... I saw a tweet the, the other day that's been moving around online and I actually was going to post it, but I, you know, when I post something, when you post something, we got to be ready to deal with it because you, it, it goes wildfire. And the tweet said, stop making men think it's a badge of honor that they were victimized at 13 and 14 years old by an older babysitter or an older family member or an older neighbor. Because we will look at that and say, yeah, you know, he had he he was getting it early. But the truth of the matter is that at 13 years old, if the 26-year-old babysitter is having sex with you, that's rape. It's rape and it's molestation. And it is traumatizing and it is taking the innocence of a young child away. Yeah. And I that's, and, gonna, that's gonna take a lot to retrain the mindset of a man. I it's know not, it, it really is because I don't I can't really you'll probably find a handful, if you can find that, of men that will identify that with any level of trauma or any level of pain. Like, right? Because so, when it's just looking at just as from a sexist. I mean, not a sex from a sex um, point of view. You you know, from a woman and men, just the sex, different sexes. Men don't we don't see it that way. We just we like as much as I sit there and think about it, and we, and when you start tearing back the layers and you start doing you know the psychological of how men are sexualized and how we equate every, a lot of things with sex, maybe that is what has led to that mentality, but we don't see ourselves as victims. And in most of men, young boys at that time, think that they got over. You know, right. they, it was a badge of honor. They, they didn't feel, we didn't feel nasty. We didn't feel violated. We didn't feel any level of trauma. So to get us to identify with that mentality, it's gonna be a lot harder. I'm not saying it's wrong because you're right. No, when adult is playing on a 13, 12, whatever year old, then there's definitely, still should be um, statutory rape, the same thing. But I'm just trying to say, most men that I speak to will never really identify that. Well, because the thing is, and that's why I said I didn't post it yet, because I was like, gotta be ready when get it. This is getting ready to be comments lit. And you would have been one of the people in my comments that I would have to tell, leave me alone. But- um, I'm just giving you, because I've been a man my whole life, I've never been a woman. So I only can give you that point of view. I know that that's the, that I totally respect that. And I know it's a feeling. And my 22-year-old, Tariq, says the same thing. Everybody, everybody feels the same way. But there is so much about a man's, some men, too many men's, lack of, and I, when I say sensitivity, it's the wrong word for this context, but ability to treat a woman the right way sexually that comes from not having a natural progression into your sexual, into your sexuality and into your sexual understanding, right? There's so many women who are not being pleased sexually by men 
because the way that they were taught to have sex was not actually the right, again, natural experience of the first time you're having sex, you might be, I'm just using this and, and I'm not suggesting at all that this happened. But I'm just saying, you 16 or 17 and you have sex with another 16 and 17 year old. So y'all are learning things about one another, whatever. Maybe you start out 16, you just kissing. 17 might be a little more. So 18, to, you know, and there's a process that you're going through. Instead, you are a young kid that is being taken advantage of by an adult who, who doesn't care about you. They are literally taking advantage of you for their own purposes. And so then you begin to reenact the same things over and over and over again because you think that that's the right way to handle a woman or to be in relationship, into, in sexual relationship with somebody. So I get why it's cool. And the other thing is, my, I keep telling you this over and over and over again. So much of what we all believe is what was told to us or what in a patriarchal society was sold to us as the truth. When if we really sit and think back on how it all, and I'm not, and by the way, if you go back and look at the history of where some of us come from, taking advantage of young kids has been a thing forever. This is not like, this ain't, I'm not saying that, oh, we came to America or we whatever. And it, no, this has been a thing for too long. Yeah. And it's always been wrong. Right. In, in my judgment. And I think we have a responsibility, as I often tell you, to deal with this. So when you say you don't get it, we ain't been getting it. This is the yeah. world. And, and, I'll end it, and I'll end it on this. Right. Because I was just listening to your perspective. And yeah, maybe, you know, a lot of men, you know, because of sexual experience they had that weren't natural, that were, you know, out of order, probably have you know, made them a lot less compassionate, even understanding about women and, and take the time to do. But I, I'm being honest with me, my sexual experiences with older women is what taught me sexual as a man. Like when I was having sex with young I didn't even know I wasn't having sex, right? I thought I was actually having sex and I wasn't. And then I found out from an older woman, like that's not, you didn't, it didn't go in anywhere. Like, you didn't even put it. You just was in between my legs. Nothing actually happened. A young girl just didn't even know. She wasn't telling me anything. So, I mean, there's this variation. And there's and that might be something that's necessary. Mm -hmm. You may need to go through the process of learning and knowing and this and that. And I don't, and I, I know for sure that an older woman has no business teaching that to a child, right? That should not be happening. Because yeah. it also goes along with manipulating the mental ability and capacity of a younger person. It's a lot of stuff that happens. But I will say this, and you're right, we're done. On, because me and you, every week, we end up fighting about all yeah. this kind of stuff. But I will say this. Most dudes don't even know how to have sex, even though they had it with the old women. Because most women are faking orgasms during sex so the brother can get the hell up. That is what's happening. Ladies, y'all know. That. I, I hate that for women. And, but really it's the truth. This is that's a sad reality that that's happening. Well, I'm just telling you. And, and with that said, <laughs> we're gonna end this episode of Street Politicians. We appreciate y'all. Once again, if you got topics that you want us to talk about, let us know. 
If you hate us, if you love us, let us know. Right now, we're the number one show in the world. So no, actually, we have, we have great numbers. We've had like over 30,000 downloads in the last couple of weeks, two weeks or That's so. That's right. So. We're moving on up. We're still number one, I'm telling you. Number one. Number one in our number heart. One. Number one in our hearts, but take us to number one on the charts. That's right. So download Street Politicians on all platforms where pod where you get your favorite podcast and support us. Make sure that you follow up with Street Politicians and follow us on Instagram because sometimes we go live there. That's right. And once again, I'm not gonna always be right. Tamika's not gonna always be wrong, but we will both always and we mean always be authentic. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers, other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. 